Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, as well as the rest of the team at Lucasfilm, have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Brian Gaughan and I are recording this week's show on Sunday, July 9th, 2023. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is about to complete its second weekend in theaters in North America. Domestic box office numbers are in. You saw these, right, Brian? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I came in second in North America behind Insidious, The Red Door. That horror film pulled in $32.65 million versus the $26.5 million that Indy pulled in. By the way... Uh, Deadline pointed out that this has actually happened before, that in May of 2008, the second weekend that Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was in theaters, that Steven Spielberg movie was bested at the domestic box office by the first Sex in the City movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, that made 57 million versus 44 million. Now, the key difference here, of course, Brian, is that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull made $101 million domestically over its opening weekend back in 2008, whereas Dial of Destiny only sold $60.3 million worth of tickets in North America. So what do you think happened here? It still goes back to the to corona, okay. to the lockdown. Um, people just aren't coming back to the theaters unless it's something they haven't seen before. Mario Brothers was something they haven't seen before. Spider-Man, still something they've, they kind of saw before, but it's, it, it was a little bit different. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think the audience for this is not the young audience. Yeah. Generation Z is not into, you know, Indiana Jones. Someone shared with me that, you know, they were doing the pre-ticket sales info as to who was buying in advance and, and, the average person who was buying a ticket for uh, Dial of Destiny was a 52-year-old white male. So yeah. it's like, yife. Now, uh, by the way, interesting side note here. Insidious Red Door, a thing that just bested Dial of Destiny at the box office, is the fifth film in the Insidious film series, in much the same way that Dial of Destiny is the fifth film in the indie series. Was it just a case of... Oh, Insidious is a date film. Insidious is a film that you go with your your buddies. You go to a um, a, a drive-in, or you just go to a movie mm -hmm. with your your best girl, mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, you know you scream, mm -hmm. and it's it's a fun movie. It freaks you out. Mm -hmm. um, Indiana Jones takes a little bit time to you know you have to. It's a cerebral film, mm -hmm. and and it's also very long. Also, where Insidious what is is like an hour and forty five minutes or something. Once upon a time in Hollywood, release dates were religion. There are certain parts of the industry that will grab dates out. In fact, I was just looking at the dates for the Star Wars films that have been grabbed. And, you know, those are 2026, 2027, you know, three and four years down the line. And when Indy 5 was first announced, well, we first learned that it was in development in 2015, but when Disney formally admitted that this is a greenlit project, that was in March of 2016. And at that point, it was supposed to go into theaters 
in July of 2019. And the original indie goes into theaters June of 1981. And then the next three literally open within a span of just four days on the calendar. Temple of Doom opens May 23rd, 84. Last Crusade, actually the exact same date. Uh, in 1989, so again, May 24th, and then Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, we jump ahead to 2008 again, and that's May 18th. So, well, the, that's a that's the superstition that Lucas and Spielberg have, because you know that Lucas, you know, May 25th was his day mm-hmm. that he released all the Star Wars films, okay. and he kept on bringing them back there. Mm-hmm. And then the first Star Wars film that wasn't released on May 25th. Well, mm-hmm. wait a minute, that was. The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. but still, it just it felt really weird, and I would think that Lucas would have like fought for it to be coming out in the summer rather than the winter. Isn't the other thing about when you go with that date? Isn't that also cozied up against a Memorial Day weekend? So you yeah, but th- there weren't no blockbusters and t- real blockbusters until Jaws. Yeah, that's true. There were some. You had you you had your summer movies, but they were always released in June. I think. I think June was like when Earthquake came out and and um, Roller Coaster and the Tower Inferno was. I think in the winter, but those were the times where it was usually in the middle of summer when the kids were out for the whole week, not just Memorial Day weekend. I think Star Wars was one of the first films to come out in May, and then May was considered the beginning of the summer blockbuster until it was a a rock film, mm-hmm. I believe, that was released in April. Mm-hmm. And then I think Marvel released a film in April, and then it kept on getting... Longer and longer. Remember when February and January and February were the months that you just threw whatever your your garbage was out, and um, yeah. and then nobody went to see those movies. Now they're releasing you know top films in those days too, but the lockdown just messes up. I don't think people really really are going to come back to the theater. Unless it's something, and and especially the older people, mm-hmm. or I'm not. I'm sorry, you're wrong. I'm wrong on that because I'm. I do believe every every older person I know are going to see Indiana Jones. The young people are not. Okay, just to sort of backfill of uh, some of the stuff you just said. Okay, the earthquake movie you mentioned. The Censoron thing that Universal really Censoron. Yeah, that yeah. was actually November of 74. Was November it? of 74. Oh, but, shoot. But no, I'm no, no, no. But don't get me wrong. And remember, because it had Censoron, we were suddenly in one of those Fantasia situations. We had to go to the right theater with our, you know, the Censoron right. speakers and that sort of thing. Roller Coaster was the one that was in um, the same year as Star Wars. In Censor Interesting. Wasn't it 76? I, I am checking right now. Okay, Universal. Yeah, and that was that was their second film in Censor mm-hmm. Okay. I believe. Maybe it was their first. But I, I, I do believe that... I do remember that I went to see mm-hmm. it um, when Star Wars was playing at the next theater. That's fascinating. Okay, no. Brian's uh, uh, not wrong here, folks. Roller Coaster. Uh, was it a shot at Magic Mountain? Yeah. But anyway, uh, Roller Coaster, the second movie done in Censor 
was released on June 10th, 77, where New Hope, as you mentioned, George was religious about that date. So May 25th, 77. So two weeks later. Yeah. So summers were not where you brought out your blockbusters, I guess, mm -hmm. until until Jaws did it. But um, because you kept your big your big pictures like um, Earthquake, you know, with all the actors in it and, um, you know, Towering Inferno. I think you those were winter films. You're right. So summer wasn't really... Summer was a, I guess, for the kids. You brought out the family films for the summer. Uh, what we think of now as a, a blockbuster really dates back to June of 75. And um, Jaws opened in theaters June 20th of that year. And the business changed on the heels of that. Mm -hmm. So discounting that it was the weekend. And it may also be that kind of movie fatigue, just people aren't into... I mean, I, I have a, a problem with um, a person I watch um, movies and TV shows with. I won't mention my wife's name, mm -hmm. but um, okay, she does not like to watch mm -hmm. things with old people in it. Oh. If there's a detective show mm -hmm. with an old person, she goes, oh, I can't watch that. He's, he's too old. I'm going, what do you mean he's too old? He's younger than mm -hmm. I am, and you can't you, you can't watch it. But And that's the way some people are. Mm -hmm. They don't want to watch something. Maybe I'm exaggerating mm -hmm. or, or, or over the top, but I don't know. Why do you think? What's your idea that, you know, why this didn't do the kind of numbers that it should have done? I remember talking with folks at Disney who were initially had some serious trepidation. Because remember, you know, this was supposed to make it out in, in 2019. And then things got kicked. The script wasn't where they wanted it. And then suddenly there was COVID and the pandemic. And it's been at that point, it had been, you know, uh, you know early on they were concerned it was going to have been 11 years since Kingdom of the Crystal Skull had, had come, been out in theaters in 2008, and now it's it's 15 years. But just last year, we had Top Gun Maverick. 36 years between when the first Top right. Gun came out and the second one came out. And, and that, that film went on to sell $1,296,000,000 worth of tickets worldwide. So as far as Disney was concerned, it's like, oh, okay, we don't need to sweat. Indie. I mean, you know, look at the audience that turned out for Top Gun Maverick. And Brian, that's not going to happen with Dial of Destiny right now. No, it's not. Worldwide box office for Indy 5 is sitting at $247.9 million. That doesn't cover the $250 million that Disney will publicly admit that Dial of Destiny costs to make. Off the record, folks at the studio will tell you this is James Mangold movie costs so much more to make. The low end of the number they say the re is the real number is two hundred ninety-five million. On the other hand, wow. if you factor in the cost of the aborted, directed by Steven Spielberg version, which by the way they were building sets for when he walked away, it's actually closer to three hundred twenty-five million. <sighs> Remember when Michael Eisner signed the deal back in October of 79 with George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, which then gave Paramount the rights to distribute Raiders of the Lost Ark in four sequels. Right. Disney, by the way, wouldn't get the rights to the, the full rights to the film franchise till December two, 2013. And that's 14 months after 
Disney actually acquired Lucasfilm. But Eisner locked these two into a budget of just $20 million, and they had to... They had to bring this film in on an 85-day long shooting schedule. And every dollar over that amount and every day that this production ran over schedule, that had to come out directly out of Spielberg and Lucas's pocket. And they then met privately and agreed that, okay, Eisner's locked us into 85 days to shoot this thing. Let's get it done in 73. Of course... They met that. They got the film in, for, uh, but they actually went close to 10% over. Yeah, but 10%, what, what was like $2 million? Well, I, I no, mean, actually over 10%. It, they brought it in for 22.8. So Okay, well, there you go. Okay, but now on the other hand, given that Raiders was still running in theaters six months after it was released to theaters in June of 81... <laughs> Paramount was willing to overlook that. That right. slight a bit of over budget. Well, you also Raiders was the first time something like that happened. Mm-hmm. And then every three years you would look forward to another one. Yeah. And you'd see a lot of people would see the movies more than mm-hmm. once. Mm-hmm. And the audience that was seeing those movies, yeah. well, they're not gonna go see a movie more than once. They'll see a movie once, mm-hmm. they'll see it opening weekend, mm-hmm. they'll see it in a really nice theater. They'll, they'll pay the $25 to see it in the Dolby Theater. And the that's the audience. That's my audience right now. But the younger people, they'll go see Spider-Man for six or seven times, mm-hmm. but they're not seeing Indiana Jones six or seven times because basically it's, oh, yeah, that's good. I've seen it. Now let's go on to the next one. Where Spider-Man, there's so much stuff in it that you'll catch something new every time. People point to the amazing box office numbers that Infinity War or Endgame made. And, you know, and a lot of that is completely on the back of people who went back just to watch the big battle at the end of Endgame again, you know, because there was so much going on. But talking with folks at Disney who are, of course, prepping films that are supposed to build us to the next big MCU event. Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. And the fear is that between what's going on with streaming, between, as you mentioned, you know, the audience that just didn't come back after COVID, is that going to happen? And do we then, because of this, have to be that much more disciplined about the budgets of movies? Because I'll I'll tell you, Brian, if you look back over the, the history of the indie films, initially there was discipline. Yeah. First indie movie, like I mentioned, uh, originally budgeted for $20 million, came in at 22.8. The next one, Temple of Doom, wound up at a higher price point, uh, $28 million. We jump ahead to 89 Last Crusade was $48 million. And then uh, if we get to the Kingdom, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, that started out with a budget of $120 million. By the time they finished shooting, it was $180 Five million, almost ran well ran over by more than a third. And you know the whole notion is, well, don't worry. You know people are going to come out. It's an Indiana Jones movie, and in that case, it worked out. Uh, you know, Crystal Skull back in two thousand eight sold seven hundred and ninety million worth of tickets worldwide. But again, I don't see that happening with Dial of Destiny, and which now brings us to the other question, because every time something like this happens. Every time something that 
Lucasfilm does that doesn't connect with an audience. What's fascinating to watch online is the people who then begin to, you know, well, you know, Kathleen Kennedy is now looking for boxes to pack right. up her office because, you know, that Disney's going to let her go. And the armchair quarterbacks right now are coming. Well, out. yeah, but but here's the thing. The armchair quarterbacks have been doing this for five years. Right. May of 2018, Star Wars, the solo story comes out after a very troubled production doesn't meet box office spec, uh, expectations. Following year, May of 2019, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opens at Disneyland, has a very tough first summer. August of that same year, Galaxy's Edge opens at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Again, not the success that, that people had hoped for out of the box. And, and at that time, remember, there was a lot of finger pointing at Kathleen because evidently when Bob Iger had first put this project in development for the parks, it was going to be tied to the original Star Wars trilogy. In fact, it right. wasn't it supposed to be, instead of uh, Black Spire output, Mos Eisley, right, on, on Tatooine? Yeah, it was supposed to be Mos Eisley and then ta on Tatooine, mm -hmm. and you were going to get a lot of, you know, and then wasn't there supposed to be, like, the town, and then, like, off to the side there would be, like, some... Yeah, moisture farmers and stuff like that. I, it wasn't supposed to be all one thing. I want to say yes. But again, Kathleen went to Iger and argued, look, the future of Star Wars is literally its future. We should not be looking back at a film we made in, you know, or a film series we made in the, the late 70s, early 80s. You know, we, we should be leaning into the movies we're making right now. And then remember, you know, December of, of that same year, 2019, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker comes out and does the lowest box office for any of the Disney produced Star right. Wars movies. And to add insult to injury, in that same window of time, uh, Rise of the Resistance first opens at Disney Hollywood Studios and then just a few weeks later opens at Disneyland Park. And, and don't get me wrong, folks, people love Rise of the Resistance when it's working. When Kylo Ren is in, what do they say, in, in A? And yeah. not the B mode, in mode A? Yeah. I, I actually got to see him in mode A, so that was pretty it cool. It is pretty cool, but the last time I rode this thing, in fact, one of the, I think, one of the best scenes in the entire attraction is when Kylo Ren is wheeled and seen you, and you have to escape, and you are suddenly on the gun deck which is firing out at the rebels who have, have come to try to rescue you. And, and your vehicle has to do this dance because the guns are moving fire forward to fire and then they recoil back. And so you have to move through the space. And it, it, I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing effect when it works. But the yeah. last two times I've been on this thing on either coast, the guns are just, you know, sort of locked in position at the back to the effect of, all right, you know, yeah, that's a cool effect. We can't get it to work on a consistent basis. So here you are in B mode in this space. And since we're talking about Star Wars stuff for the parks, March of 2022, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser opens. It was supposed to be the next big thing for the Disney resorts. This ultimate hands-on Star Wars experience, a two-day-long immersion event, and you know there are already plans to not you know after the one in Florida, there are always talk of of you know opening one in Paris and building one as part of a third park at Tokyo, and or in May of this year, 
it was announced that, you know, this amazing billion dollar project would be shutting down September 30th this year. And then Willow, uh, the series debuted on Disney Plus. And remember, you know, that this is Lucasfilm looking to bump out the borders of, you know, the sort of stuff it can do, that it wouldn't be just one or two trick ponies, Star Wars and Indiana Jones. But it debuts to disappointing numbers, was initially supposed to be three seasons of a show. And again, remember, debuts in November of 2022, formally canceled in March of this year. And then we learned in May of this year, it would be pulled down entirely off of Disney Plus due to how streaming does bookkeeping. So are are you saying these are pointing to the fact that maybe Kennedy isn't doing her job? Well, no. What I'm about to point out here, though, in in contrast to Willow the series, every other Star Wars-related television project, and, and, you know, I would argue we have to go all the way back to Star Wars Rebels, but especially the stuff on Disney+, Plus has done well. I mean, Mandalorian debuted with the channel, basically May of 2019, and how much Baby Yoda merch sold. Merch, oh yeah. But everything that they have done since, whether it's Bad Batch in May of 2021, a book of Boba Fett in December of uh, 2021, Star Wars Obi-Wan, May of of 2022, and then just last year, uh, September, uh, we got Star Wars Andor. And let's not overlook Star Wars Visions, Star Wars Tales of the Jedi, and Star Wars The Young Jedi Adventures, which debuted in May of this year, and like baby yoda moving a lot of merch yeah the tv stuff has done so well there's a number of things that have misfired movie wise and theme park wise on kathleen's watch but one would argue that can you really lay all of the stuff that didn't work at the parks at at kathleen's feet and i would say no no, I would say no because you know if she if she went to Iger and let's say said it's the future, not the past, that 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 didn't come just from her. Somebody had to talk to her and say, well, you know, maybe we should focus on you know selling merchandise for the future so we can get more mm-hmm. things in there rather than the past. Mm-hmm. What is the whole thing about who spends money? Isn't it you're going for the 18 to 35-year-olds? Well, they arguably, they are the ones with disposable income. I don't think that's mm-hmm. true. Because I know people my mm-hmm. age that are spending a hell of a lot more money mm-hmm. than 18-year-olds I know. Okay. On movies and um, merchandise. And when you go to, we're going to talk about Comic-Con. When you go to Comic-Con, oh, yeah. there's a lot of old mm-hmm. guys out there. There's a lot of guys like us who are trying to fill a run of comic books. or And we still buy books because a lot of kids don't buy books anymore or records. Mm-hmm. They'll listen to Spotify. They'll listen to their albums on Spotify, but they won't hold the CD mm-hmm. or the, the vinyl and look through. Remember when we used to be in our rooms listening to records and we would read every single credit on those records mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we would know the the sound engineer the the bass player the drummer everything you know do kids know that nowadays they don't focus on that as much as we did and i think money wise old people have a lot of dis, you know 
stuff to, well, look, it was called the 40-year-old virgin, right? I know, I know. Okay, (laughs) now uh, getting back to to Kathleen Kennedy and conversations I recently had with folks at Disney. There's a lot of pressure right now on Star Wars Ahsoka, which debuts in August. That has to do really well on Disney+, Plus, especially given the huge financial pressures Disney is facing right now when it comes to streaming. They're extremely hopeful that this will retain a, a number of customers for that streaming service. Hell, Disney's actually hoping to pick up a bunch of subscribers for Disney+. Plus. There's a big ad campaign for Ahsoka that will be going out in all different directions beginning in late July, early August. And then behind that, of course, comes uh, Star Wars Skeleton Crew that's scheduled for early winter of 2023. And then we have the Acolyte in 2024. And then August of next year, we'll get season two of Andor. And season four of The Mandalorian is written when it's going to show up on Disney+. Plus. I don't know what to tell you, Brian. But past couple of months, we've had... Uh, coming out of the uh, Star Wars celebration in London. Uh, We got the release dates of of several future Star Wars films. May 22nd, 2026, just as you pointed out, the the date that George was superstitious about. And then uh, what's interesting after that is we we then have Disney reverting to the dates that it used for its Star Wars movies just the week before Christmas, so December 18th, 2026, and December 17th, 2027. And again, one of these is supposed to be the Ray movie, uh, you know, her rebuilding the Jedi Order. I think we talked about this in the last show, but just over the course of the time that you and I have been doing the show, we have talked about the incredibly promising Patty Jenkins Rogue Squadron film that got pushed off. Uh, likewise, Taika Waititi's Star Wars project that got pushed yeah. off. Kevin Feige. Yeah, and then this is true. Look, what I'm being told is that Kennedy's position at Lucasfilm is safe as long Good. as Star Wars TV projects remain solid because those have been great drivers of merchandise sales and people are still lining up you know even with rise of the resistance having you know being down at least once or twice a day people are still lining up to get into the galaxy's edges and this is why for example we're gonna see uh, that new star tours stuff the the new ride films coming 2024 but it's not going to be a surprise to you to learn that these new ride films will lean into The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett and Ahsoka because that's right. the successes that Lucasfilm has had with Star Wars lately. Not in theaters, but on Disney+. Plus. By the way, did you honestly think it was a surprise given how things are traditionally done? You've got a show opening in August on Disney+. Plus. Were you surprised that they are not doing an Ahsoka panel at Comic-Con this year? Like, we're finding mm-hmm. out that they they canceled everything because of the the writer's strike, or what, what they're they're saying is the white writer's mm-hmm. strike. Um, there may be more... Yeah, the SAG strike. Uh, yeah, a potential for a SAG strike. But I don't know. They should have kept that going. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some TV shows mm-hmm. that are in Ballroom 20... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. CBS has ghosts in there. 
but nothing really big. Nothing, and nothing. I don't know if there's a lot of new ones either. Before we get too bent downbeat here, I want to stress that there is still a lot of Star Wars stuff to see and to enjoy. Uh, that'll be in San Diego next Friday, July 21st. And Brian and I will talk about that right after this break. The first George Lucas theatrical release was THX. Uh, one one three eight. There we go. Yeah. Uh, released the theaters back in in March of nineteen seventy one. Cost a total of seven hundred and seventy seven thousand dollars to make. Only sold two point four million worth of tickets in the country. This was George's student film, right? You know, sort of expanded, and right. Warner Brothers took a chance on it, and it, the chance didn't pay off. But it's funny, I just want to put a little history mm -hmm. right here. Because it didn't pay mm -hmm. off, we got possibly the best film ever made. Okay, explain. George um, Lucas at the time when he made THX 1138 mm -hmm. was basically together mm -hmm. with Francis Ford Coppola and American Zoetrope. And Francis Coppola is and still mm -hmm. is an independent filmmaker. Mm -hmm. He doesn't make, he's like Scorsese, mm -hmm. he's like Brian De Palma. They don't make films for mainstream audiences, mm -hmm. even though De Palma has, uses his sensibility in mainstream, mm -hmm. the other ones do not. Mm -hmm. Coppola was asked to do, because there wasn't a, a lot of um, Italian, young Italian-American filmmakers at the time, so Coppola was asked to do Godfather. Well, of course, he read the book, and like most Italians, Italian-Americans, he wasn't 100% on board with it. So the producer went up to American Zo Zoetrope mm -hmm. and asked him to do mm -hmm. it again and said that he would. they would give him producer, um, director, and then he could write the screenplay with Puzo, mm -hmm. and he would make some money. Well, he had to take it because he owed Warner Brothers $200,000 for THX 1138. Uh... So he took a movie that it could have been a, by any other director of City of the Met, William Friedkin, any other director, it could have been a great movie, but he made it something different. And if you watch it, it's got a tone, it's got a feel that nobody else has ever done at the time. Even the acting, the the acting was so down to earth that it changed the way people casted their films. Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I have to tell you that The Hill Household, The Godfather, with cinematic gold. In fact, do you remember when the Godfather saga, when when right when he put all the film together in order? Yeah, when it ran on NBC. I mean, my oh, you yeah. know my brother Peter religiously you know recorded it every night it aired, and then I think it tells a lot about the Hill family that that I think every Thanksgiving <laughs> we we wound up watching the Godfather. You know, just I mean we're eating turkey rather than. You know, I, I, it would have been perfect to have cannoli, but that's just not how yeah. it worked out. <laughs> but would you would you have uh, left the gun and taken cannoli? I, you know, one of the greatest mistakes in movies. It, it was it was not supposed to be that way. He was supposed to just say, mm -hmm. "Leave the gun," mm -hmm. and the actor saw the cannoli. There he goes, "Leave the gun, take the cannoli," and now it becomes one of the greatest things ever said in a movie. Whenever I am 
coming over the George Washington Bridge and, you know, headed to Jersey by wetlands full of those tall reeds. I just like huh, yeah. how many guns and how many cannolis you know and, 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 are floating in the river uh, but, but anyway it's so interesting you bring up Coppola because George comes off of THX 1138 kind of didn't and you know, in fact when he walked his next movie around American Graffiti nobody bit the only way he got it made was he eventually convinced Universal to give him $600,000. Again, three quarters of what had been spent on THX 1138. And he, he literally had to go to Ford at this point, having cost American Zoetrope $200,000, you know, the money they owed Warners. And he had to go to George and uh, you know, uh, Francis and go, I, oh, I, I need 175000 because we need period cars and we need music. <laughs> and and they were somewhat estranged at the moment, but Ford was, was loyal enough to look and said, all right, fine, here's your damn money. But even with... Ford being upset with Lucas. You remember the the famous story of the first screening of American Graffiti? Right. January 73. I mean, it's like seven or eight months before the movie's going to be released. And, you know, the first cut of the movie is three hours. And so they walk out of the screening and the Universal executives, they hate it. They hate the movie. You know, it's, it's like a few of them there dared to say it's unre unreleasable. And Ford, while they're standing outside of the preview theater, literally turns to Universal executives. He reaches into his pocket, pulls out his checkbook, <laughs> and says, okay, I'll buy it from you. How much you want? And it was one of these things, it so rattled the Universal executives, because now this isn't just Francis Ford Coppola. This is Godfather. No, well, that's it, exactly. The, the, you know, the, the movie is minutes away from sweeping the Academy Awards. It's made giant box office, and suddenly this Universal executive who, you know, thought, well, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, if if the guy... What does he know that don't know. I don't and they, know? And they backed off. They backed off. And then, uh, August of 1973, American Graffiti gets released to theaters, and this is a movie that had been produced for a total of $775,000. It goes on to gross $115 million. It is one of, you know, if you go from cost of production to ticket sales, it was one of the most profitable films ever made. And just like what happened with Francis, you know, when he had his hit and suddenly acquired all of this power in the industry, three months after American Graffiti is in theaters, George Lucas is over 20th Century Fox pitching them on this movie that has robots and spaceships. And Alan Ladd, the head of Fox at that point, just turns to Lucas and says, I want to be in business with you. And that's how we got Star Wars. So I bring all of that up because Fathom Events and Universal Pictures are celebrating just next month, the 50th anniversary of the release of American Graffiti. So it's going back into theaters on Sunday, August 27th, as well as on Wednesday, August 30th. And if you want to see a young Harrison Ford that hasn't had 100 effects artists <laughs> at Lucasfilm, <laughs> removing all of the wrinkles and that sort of thing, this is the movie you want to see. And one final thing before we start talking about Comic-Con, we talked on the last show about 
the dress that Carrie Fisher wore at the end of A New Hope in the award ceremony. Right. It had been put up for bid. The minimum bid for the item was $1 million. And at that time, when we first discussed it, they were talking about, wow, this could go for two, this could go for three. And did you see where it didn't actually meet the minimum bid? Yeah. It topped out at $975,000. And the folks who had put it up uh, for auction, where it's like, no, didn't meet the minimum bid, we'll wait. Kind of surprising. I don't know. It's just that right now, first of all, it's only shown in, it's only seen in, what, five minutes of the, the movie? I bet you we could put a stopwatch on that scene. Five minutes? I'd say uh, somewhere between a minute and 45 seconds. And there was no dialogue. And there's no dialogue, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't think it's iconic as her original mm-hmm. dress that she has. Mm-hmm. And, then, and, of course, in the last film, mm-hmm. Um, or of the first trilogy, the the bikini. I'd love to know what that's going for. What, five <laughs> ounces of metal? Wherever that is, it can stay there. Getting back to Comic-Con, you are a total pro at this event. I mean, how many years have you been going down with the wonderful illustrator, uh, Bill Stout? I've been going down there for about 30 years with him. But I had been going mm. since... I'm, it started, I think it started, what, in 76? And I was 16, no, I'm sorry, it started in 70. Mm-hmm. And I had, as soon as I got my first car, mm-hmm. it was a um, Ford Capri. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised I made it to San Diego, but I would go down mm-hmm. there. I think I was 17 when I first went. Mm-hmm. And I would go to every, I would just go a day. Mm-hmm. And I would ju- I would go there. You'd wait in line for an, an hour. You'd fill out your form. You'd get in and go for the day. And most of it was to buy comic books. There were people there who were selling their wear. Um, Bill Stout was there. I did not know who he mm-hmm. was. I saw Dave Stevens there with his um, helmet mm-hmm. for um, the Rocketeer. I saw um, the guy who wrote... Uh, well, the guy whose Terminator was based on. Do you know? Oh, I do. And he had to sue to get the credit. I have a story about this writer because uh, a good friend of mine, his cousin married him. and Oh, cool. Harlan Ellison. Harlan Ellison. Harlan, yes. Okay, and here, but again, classic Harlan Ellison. My friend Michael drives all the way down from L.A. to see Harlan speak, unaware that in between, since he last spoke with a cousin, uh, Harlan and his cousin have broken up. And when he gets into the hall, Harlan talks for like 15 minutes about how this woman broke his heart and cheated on him. And the thing is, Michael is in line. You know how at Comic-Con you get in line and you stand at the mic and you... You wait for your chance, and Michael had gotten online to to ask a question. And the thing is, Harlan 
recognized him when he came to the oh, mic. No. It's like, oh, I, hey, guys, the girl I was just talking about, the one who cheated on me, this is her cousin. Uh, what's your question? <laughs> I mean, Harlan was an amazing writer, but, you know, not a terrific human being sometimes. But he was a great person to see. Every oh, year yeah. he would go to Comic-Con yeah. and he would just talk for two hours about politics, about everything. He had people booing, yep. throwing things at him. It was it was amazing. So that was, you know, another thing you look forward to is Comic-Con. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then there was the masquerade, and the masquerade was uh, a lot of fun. And I had a remember those huge video cameras? Uh, yeah, the, the, th the that, things that, that were weighed as much as a car battery. Exactly. So I would I would put that on my shoulder, and I'd go backstage, oh. and I would just take pictures of the people getting ready, and and I'd talk to people, and you know I have videotapes of of me um, just going back there and. And seeing these people, and it wasn't that big. And it well, was, no, no, no. It was know, a, people forget. I mean, in fact, just last year, Comic Con celebrated its fiftieth anniversary. In fact, did you ever get to it when it was at the El Cortez? I did not get to the El Cortez when I first started going, which was um, seventy-seven. Um, it was at the the small convention center, mm -hmm. which is where the arena is now. Okay. And um, it's a theater right mm -hmm. now, but that's where it was, and um, it was not crowded at mm -hmm. all. And like I said, you'd go in there, you'd see some stuff, the comic books. There wouldn't be a lot. Of, the the when Star Wars was there mm -hmm. in '76, they were in a hotel room, and people went in there. And my friend was actually one of the people who were there, and he got to see this thing. They showed um, the Ralph McQuarrie pictures. Luke Skywalker wasn't at that one. He was at the the science fiction um, convention, um, I think, in Minneapolis. Or hang, hang on, hang on, just a sec, because I, 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 I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt here, but the gentleman you're talking about, Craig Miller, right? The original director of fan relations for Star Wars, he's actually doing a presentation. Oh, he's great. I've seen him. He does one every year, mm -hmm. and he is amazing. Mm -hmm. And he was, he's us. And he was um, ahead of the science fiction club in Los Angeles. And they came to him, and they said, how do we get your audience to see this? Mm -hmm. And he goes, go to the um, science fiction conventions, mm -hmm. go to Comic-Con. And he was with them, and he would tell them, you know, what to do, display things, et cetera, et cetera. And he, it was because of him and Comic-Con mm. that Star Wars had the lines out before anybody knew what it was. No, 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 you're not wrong. And sort of tying back to that, uh, every Friday at Comic-Con, it's dubbed Star Wars Day. And... Room 7AB in the convention center is sort of the place you need to go if you want to have a great Star Wars experience, especially on Friday. And can you explain the concept of camping out at Comic-Con? There wasn't a lot of camping out when I first started going, mm -hmm. especially in Hall H. You could just walk into Hall H. The, what you did have camping out, believe it or not, were the comic book panels. Really? Mainly because they, yeah, because they were in smaller mm -hmm. rooms and it was still Comic-Con. Mm -hmm. People were there for the Comic-Con. What changed all this was Twilight. Mm -hmm. in, in order to get as many people to see it as possible, they would 
have it on Thursday at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. And people started camping out outside for Hall H to see Twilight because of how successful it mm-hmm. was. It changed the whole idea of Comic-Con and the marketing people saw it and then they started bringing all the films down, yeah. all the celebrities down. And before it was just this small thing where you would see celebrities and they could walk around and everything. Then that was the main thing people were there for. Mm. And that's when it started selling out. Yeah. And when we refer to camping out and say Hall H or in the case of Room 7AB, what it means right. is you show up as early as possible in the day. You you Right, for the first show, and then you just stay in Yeah, because, you know, especially yeah. if there's a panel or a presentation you want to see later in the day. And, and, yeah. and in the case of Room 7AB on Friday, the Star Wars programming gets underway at 10 a.m. Uh, we have the Star Wars musical universe with Lucasfilm and EA Games. And then, you know, at 11 o'clock, we get Lucasfilm Limited with the high-end Star Wars collectibles. And uh, Brian Merton's going to be in there and not only showing off the Lucasfilm high-end collectibles, but uh, the Indiana Jones high-end collectibles, which given when I was in Target, the Star Wars or the Indiana Jones stuff was already 50% off. I don't know about high-end. 12 noon is that presentation with Craig Miller. Definitely, you you have to see it because you can see mm-hmm. how marketing of these kind of films mm-hmm. started. Oh no, no, absolutely. And he was he was the person behind it. Uh, he he came up with the ideas, and it was funny. Nobody had a clue. Mm-hmm. Nobody had a clue how to develop these kind of films, how to get pe- eyeballs on it. Nobody. Mm-hmm. Craig, make it except happen. Craig. Craig made it happen. But, but again, what's interesting about what happens in Room 7AB is they try to do the whole of what's going on within the Lucasfilm universe. So Lucasfilm Publishing is in there talking about the various books that are headed to the marketplace. Then at 2 o'clock, uh, we'll have Hasbro in there talking about the latest toys that are coming to market. 3 o'clock, it's the Star Wars trading games, people who collect those. And then 4 o'clock gets interesting. It's Star Wars past, present, and future. What I love about that is, you know, it's always in the presentations like that that things kind of leak out to the side. You know, they don't actually plan on revealing info, but this is, you know, if you you want to find out, you know, what's coming over the horizon, the 4 o'clock one may be the one to go to. Yeah, because these are the people who work on the projects and they're working on the projects Mm -hmm. now, and nobody likes to keep secrets. (laughs) Now, 5 o'clock, Star Wars fandom in the immersive frontier, Galaxy's Edge, the Galactic Star Cruiser, and beyond. And this one's going to be fascinating coming on the heels of the announcement back in May that Galactic Star Cruiser is going to shut down because... This was supposed to plow the road for a whole bunch of new Disney experiences. In fact, you know, it was just chatting with some folks who were working on the Haunted Mansion Hotel experience, which, yep, it's on hold. Again, you can't go to Comic-Con without, you know, again, there's so much lovely cosplay. So many people work so hard on their outfits. And that's what's great about the 6 o'clock presentation. It's the 51st Legion and these folks talking about 
not only doing Star Wars costuming, but focusing on the Star Wars villains costumes. Well, this was, I have a little story about the 501st. Okay. And well, when George Lucas was Grand Marshal of the uh, Rose Parade, Tournament of Roses Parade, they had the 501st go down, I, I think it was right after his car, mm -hmm. then they were behind him. Oh. And, and everybody was there. Okay. Everybody from all over the country and the world mm -hmm. were there. So there were like 500 people, <laughs> if not more, <laughs> dressed in their costumes walking down. Now, the thing about the Tournament of Roses Parade mm -hmm. is it starts at 8 o'clock. By the time 8 o'clock comes around, mm -hmm. What was once 40-degree weather mm -hmm. is now 60-degree weather. Okay. And the route is five miles. Oh, God, you're right. And by the time it gets to me, which is on Allen, mm -hmm. it's been an hour walk. Mm -hmm. Ooh. And the sun is out. And it's now 75 degrees. And these are people who can march maybe a couple feet mm -hmm. <laughs> without falling. But they start dropping, oh. and it's not only them; it's the the guys with the tubas. Oh no no no, no 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 no! They just no. there there are about four or five vans, mm -hmm. if not more, sitting on the north side, the south side of the street, mm -hmm. ready for these guys, and they start dropping right after they get to where I usually go, which is I'm on Allen, mm -hmm. and it is it is. Well, it's it's funny, mm -hmm. but it's 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 sad, yeah. but but also these people are are so wonderful. Mm -hmm. I met um one of these guys who's one of the villains. He's a um a dark stormtrooper, mm -hmm. and he had a hat on with the symbol on, and he was working at Smart and Final. Mm -hmm. So I started talking to him. I said I went to Comic Con and. What you know, he goes, Well, I'm in the 501st, and I go, Really? God, that's got to be the greatest thing. Mm -hmm. And he showed me pictures, and his costume was amazing. It was just he spent money and time on it, and he was very proud of it. I go, You have made my day, if not my millennium, meeting you. Oh. I think you're the great because they go, they go see kids at hospitals mm -hmm. and the, the whole thing. And George, you know, he will call them mm -hmm. up. And he'll call up the guy and say, can you come down mm -hmm. here? And he told me before I even knew mm -hmm. it, he told me that they were all going to be in Obi-Wan. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So I go to the parking lot and I'm driving away. He goes, wait a minute, don't move. Mm -hmm. And so I stop and he goes to his car and he comes back with this very thick mm -hmm. coin, mm -hmm. It's at, which is the 501st coin. Mm -hmm which they give to, like, kids mm -hmm. and people who... And he gave me one. Oh. And it was like, oh, my God. It was like, to me, it's the greatest thing that could ever happen to me. That's... Just something like this would happen to me from just talking to somebody and just together having a, a moment mm -hmm. over geekness. And that's what I love about the Comic-Con is the whole moments you have with other people. You're in a room of 150,000 people mm -hmm. who think just like you do. And you start from that. And sometimes you're at lunch and somebody says, can I sit at the table? Mm -hmm. And they sit at the table and they start talking about Indiana Jones without even saying they're talking about Indiana Jones mm -hmm. because they know you've seen mm -hmm. it. They know you have opinions on it. They know they have opinions on it. And it's a, it's amazing 
the vendors they're sort of into mm-hmm. it but they're not into it like um and then the people who do cosplay mm-hmm. these are people who maybe get picked on at school but they're so safe there and they're so safe in their skin mm-hmm. when they get there because everybody accepts them i've never seen anybody i've never seen any animosity in the whole thing i once had a guard tell me i love working the comic-con because these are the nicest people you've ever could meet because they're very polite they listen to you they don't argue with you it's just because they're happy to be there they're happy to be out of this house out of the basement and they just they're with people who are just like them like it's worth reminding folks like look first of all this year San Diego Comic Con is sold out and more to the point when you're looking to get into the convention center or for that matter I want to say the Bayside Hilton where a lot of uh, events are held across the way at the Indigo Ballroom you need a credential and as nice as those security people will be they have a job to do and they will stop you dead in your tracks if your badge is not visible and available to scan so please plan on that well yeah people are so they don't they don't do that anymore i mean if you don't have a badge you there's not a lot of people who try to get in when they don't because in downtown san diego in the gaslap district there is so much that is open to the public this is true. that they can do what there are there they have um you know walkthroughs they have mm-hmm. events they, they have do. everything in town so you could become part of it without even getting into the showroom and that is certainly worth noting and me personally i always love hanging in that green space between the hilton and the convention center because it's great people watching and uh, this is also typically where for example cartoon network often sets up some stuff there but that said there are some things you need to do if you're if you you're credentialed for comic-con you're coming down and the folks who run comic-con international down in san diego they are still recovering from the pandemic and so they, oh, they've yeah. cut some corners and for example one of the corners they have cut is the padding that used to be under the carpeting on the floor of the convention center they just what they just rolled out the carpet this year no they took out the carpet last year oh god it's All right. it's there's no more carpet it's just um cement you're walking through unless you go into the booths yeah. in the booths they have carpet with a little bit of foam underneath okay. But um, for the most part, the carpet was gone. But it may be back this time. Okay, long story short, folks, walking on poured concrete floors for four and a half days is is tough. So comfortable shoes. Likewise, I mean, it's a no-brainer, but pack a bag, bring some water, bring some snacks, because sometimes you're just going to be sitting outside of a hall waiting to get into a presentation. And you can sometimes wait for an hour or more to get into a room it's still worth doing and and certainly if you are there do make a point of swinging by bill stout's booth not only because of the wonderful stuff that bill has to sell by the way does bill have a new sketchbook for this year or yes he's got a new monster sketchbook and it's a double size and it looks amazing and it's funny it's it's like stuff he's done this year Mm -hmm. so it's not you'll it's stuff you'll never i mean he repeats some Mm -hmm. things 
but it's stuff you've never um, done before. And um, the cover is Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein doing the old American Gothic thing. Oh. And I had to, I had to tell him, mm. no, it's a, it's a, it's a farmer and his daughter, not a farmer. And his I wife. just, I just how, learned this. Yeah, it's funny how people. Yeah. And you know why it's called American Gothic? Why? The house. Oh. The painter drew the house, and he goes, "There's got to be something in front mm -hmm. of it." So he got his dentist. Mm -hmm. And his own daughter, mm. and he put them in front of it. But it's called American Gothic because that's the style of the house behind it. Grant Wood, that's the painter. Grant I Wood, want to right. say. Okay. But anyway, okay. And do we have a number? I mean, yeah, I know. I'm uh, trying to get it right now. Okay. Um, keep on talking. You're good at that. And why I'm looking at Okay. Up. <laughs> well, I, uh, speaking of which, there's two more panels in room 7AB related to Star Wars stuff. Seven o'clock. Uh, they're doing a panel about Star Wars Andor, sort of looking back at this most recent limited series and eyeballing what makes this unique in the Star Wars universe. And then finally, at eight o'clock, if. If you're feeling confident, folks, they are doing the Star Wars Trivia Challenge. And I always think I know things till I get in a room oh, with God, real yeah. Star Wars fans. And then it's like, big, light, somebody, dark, somebody, uh, dang. And I'm out, first round. All right, anyway. Well, also I want to say, um, before we g I, I, I tell Bill, you know how Hall H is the place to be, right? And this year, because of the strike, mm -hmm. a lot of people decided not to go, a lot of um, the studios. And I just wanted to go through what are what is in Hall H. Mm -hmm. On um, on Thursday, mm -hmm. actually Paramount Pictures is going to be showing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Okay. Which is going to be great because you'll be able to get in, I guarantee it. Project K, Inside India's History making sci-fi epic mm -hmm. that might be interesting to see especially after rrr was like one of the best films of mm -hmm. you know the decade okay. marvel's spider-man 2 mm -hmm. symbiotic relationships mm -hmm. so we're going all the way back to spider-man 2 mm -hmm. i don't even is this a movie is this a Comic book? I don't even know what it is. See, I'm I'm here with my Lucasfilm hat on. I I have not done my my, okay. my Marvel research, so I'll have to look at this on Friday. Mm -hmm. Collider is doing directors on directing, which is usually in you know room six A A A B or something. Um, they're also doing the Walking Dead universe, okay. and then Entertainment Weekly is doing their Brave Warriors, which is usually in Ballroom Twenty. Mm -hmm. One of the big companies, Legendary Entertainment, is going to be the first one on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And then a film called Ghosts of Ruin, which I have not heard yet. And that's at 12.15. At 1.30 is Star Trek Universe. Okay. And then Entertainment Weekly is doing Bold School, which is probably a TV show. Mm -hmm. And then William Shatner, You Can Call Me Bill. Okay. So... so and then Sunday, um, I don't think... There's anything on Sunday. Wow. Okay, so Paramount's planning a flag at le in there at least on Saturday between the Star <laughs> Star Trek universe and the you, you can call me Bill promotional thing for what the book I, I want to say. But yeah. all right, you know to bring it back to to Bill Stout in the booth, you'll be parked in for much of the show. What you he's know. near Artist Alley, but he's in the front. It's like forty nine fifty three, and he and he's been there. It's it's easy to find mm -hmm. him. 
Bill Stout uh, or William Stout, mm-hmm. and uh, he's usually in the the front. He is one of the guests mm-hmm. this year, so he is going to have two panels. He has a panel on Friday, which is about him himself, mm-hmm. and he also has a panel um, on Frazetta, oh, wow. which he will be at. Yeah, because he he's a he knew Frank, and they were big fans of each other. Okay, when we wrap up here today, I will then ask you how much I need to PayPal you because I, I <laughs> again I have my pile of bill stouts I, I you know religiously built uh, last year or thereabouts that was one of my six month projects is that was how I would reward myself for completing a week's work I would then allow myself to go to Bill's store online and buy a, a couple of his sketchbooks and I've I I have holes I have to find a couple that you know he sold out of over the years and in fact his oz stuff you know just seems to be so hugely popular it just goes i still think that glinda is going to be in the george lucas museum all right at the uh at Uh, in um, chicago yeah the storytelling museum no 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 the one in 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 uh exposition park in los angeles my mistake my mistake yeah, and then he's trying to get them, and they are talking to him right now about doing a um, exhibit for him Holy. because since he's a lot of his stuff is with George no, 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 absolutely. Stuff. Okay, here's the booth. It's forty eight oh three. Forty eight oh three. Okay, folks, go check yeah. that out and go say hello to Brian if you're headed down yeah. to, to Comic Con. Oh, please, please say hi because I'd love to hear and and please tell me what you think of the um, our shows. Mm. Because we we love doing them, and I like to hear any kind of criticism, constructive and otherwise. Well, there we go. (laughs) Okay, folks, so that's going to do it for this week. Brian and I will be back in two weeks' time, where Mr. Gon will come back with all sorts of great stories from having gone to this year's San Diego Comic-Con. But in the interim, uh, Brian, where can our listeners find you on social media? Well, um, I don't know how long I'm going to be on... um, twitter anymore Mm -hmm. but it is geek with children Mm -hmm. and it's c-h-i-l-d-r-n uh i'm still on twitter and instagram as jim hill media and over on facebook at jim hill media news if you get over to apple Podcasts and rate and recommend looking at lucasfilm uh that would be terrific and if you really 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 like what you heard here today if you want to head over to bandcap and subscribe that would be cool as well And again, I guess that's going to do it. So thanks for listening, folks. Uh, And Brian and I will be back soon.